Hi, welcome to this week's episode of The Learning Curve. And today I have my good friend and co-worker Zanida Morales on with me. We dive into the importance of social emotional learning and how to work with the people that we work with and the students that we work with and how the pandemic impacted education and what we can do to maintain that passion and that fire for the kids that we have in front of us today. So I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I do, because there's always so much to learn from Zenaida, and I'm excited for you guys to get that opportunity too. All right. Thanks for joining us on this episode of The Learning Curve. You are listening to The Learning Curve with Miss Talene. This is a space where you can feel empowered to think about education differently. All right. So we're going to start off by you introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about yourself. All right. Uh, my name is Anita Morales. I am now an instructional coach, uh, which means I help new teachers and I also help with math intervention. But I've been teaching. This is my 11th year. I've been a first, second and third grade teacher. All the littles. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and what got you into teaching? Like, how did you get to the point where you wanted to teach? And um, like, what ignited that fire for you? So I've known I wanted to be a teacher since I was a little girl playing with my dollies and I was a teacher and they were my students. Like, I knew that that was what I wanted to do. I pursued that goal. And um I became a teacher. Like it just was something that I was very passionate about. I volunteered as a fifth grader at the preschool in my local school. I was a part of the Perkins program in high school and I uh, took a class across the street at the kinder care in high school and was a part of like, it was called like a Perkins program uh, for teachers and have worked as a classroom aide, have worked at like children's daycares. Like I've always just known that education is my passion <laughs> it's like a common thing you hear a lot of teachers who know that that that's what they've wanted to do it's like they lined up their stuffed animals or their dolls <laughs> or whatever and they did all that stuff and it's cool that you had those opportunities when you were younger to be able to like almost dive in or intern or help or observe and things like that and then in college you were in a program too right that helped kind of marry that I did into it right I I did. I joined junior ITEP and they kind of helped guide me to get my credential basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause I know I was in a similar, I was in the same program, I think. And um, they had you like observing a lot of the time and writing lesson plans and executing lesson plans. And then they would set you up with a classroom teacher and that's how you would do your student teaching and stuff like that. Thanks. Now you've been on the other side of this too, where you've been a master teacher right for some student teachers and things like that how was that experience like flipped for you I don't think I've ever experienced that part of it it is both bizarre to think that I had reached that point in my life where I was helping mentor others because it feels like I graduated yesterday but it was also very humbling and very rewarding to watch new teachers uh, want to do this field especially in today's times um, where you know education is taking such a hit 
but experiencing and watching younger generations want to teach and show that passion was really rewarding and humbling. And I learned a lot from them, but um, it was also bizarre to think that, yeah, I've gotten to this point in my life. Like, oh my God, I'm old. <laughs> You're like a wonderful master teacher. Cause you know, I've seen you in action for the last decade or so. And you've um, just your interaction with your, not only your students, but your, their parents, their, your colleagues, like you work in a very collaborative environment, um, more so than um, I would say traditional classroom teachers, even though you're at a public school, it's set up a little bit differently. So can you talk to me a little bit about what, what is different about where we work and how it's set up and how collaboration is like a huge part of it. And then we're going to dive into the other part too, like about how we work with kids and stuff. So our school is an open space concept, which mm -hmm. is a, and I learned from my first year really quickly that if I am not collaborating with the partner teacher at that time, it was just one. And over time it became two that teaching would be a nightmare mm -hmm. because we were not both teaching reading at the same time or math at the same time then the noise level would just hinder everything else that you wanted to do so my first partner teacher who I love to piece and taught me more than she can ever imagine um came from a traditional school and so had a little bit of a hard time with this piece she was also she's also very musical and very outspoken and I was super quiet and so we had to learn really quickly to collaborate or I was never going to teach <laughs> <laughs> right and so throughout the years that's been like my norm with all the new incoming facilitators that I've had to work with is collaboration is key syncing our schedules is key and I learned to also quickly follow the rule, work, work smarter, not harder. Yeah. And so collaboration, we were able to work smarter and not harder as a team. Uh, the environment is set up for that collaboration, for the intermingling of our children, uh, to teach in tiers or levels, whatever we want to call that as well. And so over time, it's just, I think it makes it easier to work with once you have a handle of how to I don't know if collaborate I know I don't know if that's the right word but um, I think working with so many different people you have to have an open mind you yeah. have to be to learn from others <laughs> <laughs> and and as experienced as you are in that setting, the fact that you keep that mindset of being able to like learn from other people and grow, I think that that's a huge uh, asset that you bring to the table, you know, like it, because I've seen you having to collaborate with a handful of people and people have switched out in your grade level. Now you're out of the classroom, but up until last year, you were doing all of this, um, you, you had different partner teachers throughout the last decade or so and I remember thinking like man like every grade level she's been has always considered has been considered to be a very strong grade level and I think that is a lot to do with the the emphasis on collaboration because like when you use the open concept classrooms properly 
they can work really well and they can help alleviate some of the workload, but a lot of communication has to go into it with your partner teachers and all the kids need to be on the same wavelength. (laughs) Like, it's really interesting how that works. You guys would swap, you would like homogenize your kids, right? And swap for classes. So like one of the uh, teachers, we call them facilitators. One of the facilitators would take a group of kids that, um, struggles a little bit more in math one of them would take the ones that are more average and one of them would take the ones that are that need more of a challenge and then you can just teach to those kids and you meet their individual needs that way I think that that's a big part of it and the learners don't see me as their only facilitators they see all of them like if you ask our kids and it's I have kids in eighth grade that are like hey you were my math teacher hi Ms. Morales you know Mm -hmm. they remember you that way. They didn't have just one facilitator. They had three. And so yeah. I think that also uh, helps because allowing the learners to see the collaboration in the adults helps them be more flexible and more collaborative. Look at you modeling good behavior. <laughs> see, that's the good thing to do. And the other part of, so I'm going to use this as a segue to go into how you interact with the kiddos and the parents, because I think this is a huge, huge part of it. And, um, and then we're going to talk about how, how everything looks today in education and what we can do going forward. Uh, so, um, one of the things that we do at our school is we have an inclusive classroom, which means that we don't have a separate special needs room. Everybody is included. And so I'm just going to start off with an observation I've made of you and facilitators of your caliber like how you interact with all of the kids in the class how you accommodate some of these kiddos while they're in your class um how does can you speak to that a little bit it's kind of open-ended just um it's hard yeah as you know we're not sped Mm -hmm. educated we maybe took a class in sped in our college years and so it is difficult I learned really quickly that one of the best things that I can do is actually reach out and ask for help. Because um, we, we do have, have a SPED team, right? We like, we have a SPED team uh, on campus, so we can reach out for help. It hasn't always been a consistent SPED team. And so I felt like throughout the years, I had to start all over with the amounts of questions. And a learner with a SPED or a disability, uh, with a disability or anything is that one child like every child is super different and every child requires a different plan in the classroom and it might look similar but no child is the same um I think that why it works is because we are all inclusive the learners learn to help each other I mean, I think that comes also with how you set up your classroom environment. Uh, so I can go back to that. So from the I'm very a note of it, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go back to the beginning. So from the beginning, when you start your school year, I think it's super important to set up your classroom as a loving, caring, collaborative environment. Like you said, we are the example. And so 
through something that we use in our school morning meetings, and I know other schools use it too, uh, we start to build those relationships with our learners. And so they learn really quickly that every learner has something to bring to the table and that every learner is different and that every learner is working on something. Mm -hmm. That our goal is to always help each other. And so I always start my classroom school year that way. And so throughout the school year, they really do help each other. Mm-hmm. And so if a learner is struggling with mathematics or with a behavior, they are really good at helping each other, coping, calming, whatever it is that they need to do, they help each other. And so I've seen that every one of my years, probably starting at year three. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so that's probably the first thing. Mm-hmm. The second thing is definitely really learning that child's IEP or uh, 504 plan and knowing what are their needs Mm -hmm. so that you as a facilitator are constantly including that in your plans and your projects, activities. And then three is always asking for help, asking your uh, SPET team or other teachers that have been there longer than you, ask them for help. And I think that sets up for the right environment for any learner. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things is like to not learn to take some of those outbursts personally and things like, and to have that just incredible patience and understanding and getting, you know, like physically getting down to their level and talking to them. Cause that's the other, we joke, cause Zenaida you're, you're shorter. <laughs> and so it was funny when you would be in third grade, especially and these kids are tall sometimes and you'd be on the floor with them and something. And so when I'd come into your classroom and like, look for you, it's like, where, where'd she go? And you're like, I'm right here. <laughs> you know, you're just on the floor with them and things like that. You level with them. You sure. are w- with them like this and you're going along their learning journey with them or their emotional support with them and all of that stuff. And I think that that is, really really big like I think that it's such a small thing to do but it has such a big impact you know to just be I learned to look at them in their eye be eye level I learned like I'm known for sitting out in the hallway and sitting crisscross applesauce with my learners in the hallway if they're having a little moment and they need some time or some conversation so I'm known for for that for sitting on the floor, wherever, and just uh, meeting them at eye level. And I think that's important instead of talking down to them. Yeah. Are human beings. They're mm-hmm. not little puppets or whatever. They're human beings. So I talk to them like that. Um, and I think that helps me build relationships better where I learn so much about them. Mm-hmm. People ask me, like, how did you know all that about so-and-so? And I was like, I talk to them at human level. Like, I just... Um, I think that's important. Really, really knowing the learners because then you develop an understanding to why certain behaviors are happening and you can better help them and support Mm -hmm. them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, to extend that a little bit, how do you incorporate or communicate with the families that are involved with all of your learners too? How can you foster um, solid communication with them? Like, First day of school, I quickly send messages to every single parent and let them know that we had a wonderful day, that it was a pleasure to meet their child, 
and give them like a specific detail about something their child did. Mm-hmm. Parents yep. feel like works every time. Yeah. <laughs> works beautifully <laughs> yes yes um, absolutely I also I'm I know there's this is one topic that some teachers don't do but I give out my phone number yeah and I text parents I send them pictures of their child throughout the day if they're proud of something so I'll have kids show me paper can you send this to my mom and so I'll snap a picture and I'll text it to the parents and so the families really love getting pictures because they don't have another window of seeing what's really happening on their day to day in the classroom. Even though at our school, we do have an open door where parents can come in mm-hmm. and here they're not there every day, 24 seven, like we are. And so they are able to, to see those pictures and they love it. Who doesn't love pictures of their kids at school? <laughs> right. I, I eat it up anytime that happens with me and I, I love it so much. Now I follow the same, um, thought process like I do give my phone number out to to parents and to this day it has not bitten me in the butt and I'm like really thankful for that has it come back for you in a weird way in any at any point never never my partner teacher has had a really hard time with it and so when I was there and because we're so close I debated not giving out my phone number anymore but I did it anyway following my heart and I still this day I just I think one of the main things is just setting boundaries. Like if the parents text me at 10, I'm not answering. <laughs> right. And I, I'll even say that to the parent, like jokingly, but I mean yeah. it like, please don't text me at 3 a.m. <laughs> like that's it or something like that. And they'd be like, oh, I would never. Right. But really like, please don't do that. <laughs> and then, yeah. yeah. But I wanted to make that point that I know it's iffy sometimes to give that away, but I mean, I've been in education for a while. You've been in education for a while. And to this day, and we've had tricky parents. Yeah. It's oh, yeah. not like you've never had tricky parents before. But in this case, I feel like it it almost always works to the benefit. And when you mentioned that thing on the first day of school where you reach out and you say something kind that you noticed about the kids, I think it also helps set your mindset in a way where you're pointing out the positive things that each kid can bring to the classroom even if they were super difficult to work with that day you know you're just kind of like okay but you know <laughs> everybody has a thing oh, that's the rest of the kids not gonna be easy with that child because you know it from day one but you still send out that positive note <laughs> absolutely yeah and so the parent knows that every time that you're communicating with them it's not bad news it's like it can be good news too and it it builds that positive rapport and relationship. And I think that that's huge because once the parent turns their back on you, if they don't support what you're doing, you kind of lost the kid too, because they're hearing at home, well, you don't need to respect that person, you know, and that's really hard. And I, even with that, I still had parents that just either don't believe me that their child is acting up Mm -hmm. or are not willing to work with me. So, I mean, even with that, you still have parents that are not going to love you and that's okay. I had to learn that the hard way. Like, it's okay. Yeah. You're not you can't friend. please everybody. And in fact, you're probably not doing your job right if you are pleasing yeah. everybody, you know? Um, now, the other, ugh, 
the other thing I want to talk about with you, because you and I talk about this a lot, is just the state of education today. Um, how how did we get here? And what can we do going forward? Because um, trying to keep this passion alive for education, like I can't help it. I love, love it, but it's very hard sometimes to stay optimistic. Um, and so <laughs> I'm trying to, I'm trying to keep it light and airy for the podcast, but I do want to speak about the real things that we're seeing because I think part of it was due to the pandemic, but I also think it was a long time coming, right? Like there was a yeah. lot of things that reached a boiling point. And then now we're dealing with the, the effects I, of it. I don't know that there's multiple things yeah. that have brought us to this point. I think that obvi the obvious ones are that we're underpaid <laughs> yeah. and over. Right. Yeah. Um, I also think that newer generations are of um, a different mindset, which I can agree and disagree with. Um, they are very like, I'm going to work my hours and that's it. And we've been known to work like in the educational field. I feel like it's impossible to just work your hours, be done, and then come back the next day and be prepared. Right. And so, I mean, if you ask my husband how many hours I work after school prepping, he'd say all of them. <laughs> yeah, right. Until she goes to sleep. And then when she wakes up, it's just getting ready and then going to work. Right. And so that's not okay either. Right. right. <laughs> so I think we're struggling to find that balance between giving ourselves grace and spending time with our families, but also feeling super prepared for the next day to be able to, to carry out decent lesson plans that will really engage learners. Mm -hmm. And then that's the other part, engaging learners, I think has become more difficult than ever because we're competing against video games. Yes. Like I feel put on a show sometimes I felt like that over the last couple of years. I didn't feel all of that before. But again, I also teach the littles. And it's I think it's always easier to engage the younger kiddos than if it was like fifth and sixth grade. Mm -hmm. um, the pandemic is definitely something that affected education worldwide. Um, <laughs> yeah, I... I don't I think I've met a single person that had their kid in school or taught during that time that feels that that went as well as it could have possibly gone, you know, yeah. and um, it, it bothers me sometimes, but I see what they mean. So I can see both sides of this when people will say like there was such a loss of learning during that time. And I know how hard every teacher worked to try to make sure that they were providing like a quality education for their kids. But there was a certain part of this that was out of your control. And you can't force the kids to be present, have their cameras on 100% of the time, or, you know, you can't prevent 
whatever family dynamic that they had going on that was present in their lives like that whole time. And then I feel like now we are definitely seeing the results of that um, a lot. I don't know. What do you what do you think? I it's hard to say loss of learning just because because it's a worldwide or a state country, mm-hmm. whatever, right? It is, uh, I think, our job to reach back to the kids where they left off, right? So mm-hmm. I can say last year as a third grade teacher, I was not teaching third grade standards all the time. I had to take a step back and realize that these kids had been doing first grade work when they left off for the pandemic. And then the other is social emotionally. That's the last time they also were in the classroom. And so their behaviors were that of a first grade learner sometimes. Yes. Through me. Because <laughs> I was like, why are we having a tantrum in third grade? Yes. It's really interesting. Like, I'll, I'll say sometimes, like, I would pull small groups of kids to do reading work with. And when before the pandemic, I would pull them, I think I had one behavior issue in like five years because they always work well in small groups and then we were doing interactive stuff. But then the year we were back on campus from the pandemic, I remember like I had to talk to five different teachers in the same day. And I was like, what is happening? (laughs) You're like, oh, better. You don't have to deal with behaviors. And then I go in and I was like, I have to deal with so many behaviors. Yeah, that's the other thing too. Like, I think I've spent a lot of time this year too, just dealing with okay, what what's happening? Why are, why are you crying? What what's the social issue that's like getting under your skin that's going to prevent us from doing anything productive <laughs> until we get this handled? And that's been a huge part of it too. So when people say loss of learning, I know what they mean. It irks me though, because I'm like, everybody is behind, I guess, you know, and the people who didn't fall behind are the ones that had all of the resources available at their fingertips. And we work in a low income school and we did our absolute best to make sure these kids were fed, had the Wi-Fi they needed, had the computer they needed, had the materials they needed yet. And still, it was so hard to make sure that they were doing everything that they needed to do and they were getting the support they needed when they needed it. And now, like you said, we're not teaching third grade material in third grade all of the time because if they don't know how to read or how to solve a simple math problem, we're going to have a hard time dissecting a longer word problem and then, you know, and figuring that out. And I'm just so... Have you noticed anything that you have found to be particularly helpful, almost like an antidote to this? How do you? (laughs) If you know me and you know anything about social emotional learning, so Mm. important. It's my cup of tea. Like I love teaching social skills and in the classroom. And so I had to go back to my repertoire of stuff <laughs> from when I taught first and second and gather videos, music, art pieces, games that helped with social emotional skills. Mm-hmm. And and that was huge. Mm-hmm. I felt like social emotional learning 
was going to be more important than some of the academics because if I couldn't get them to work together or sit for five minutes without wanting to get up to go to the bathroom because when they were on Zoom, they could leave whenever they wanted and go to the bathroom or grab snacks. But in the classroom, that's not a thing. So then I felt like I needed to start with that. So we focus a lot on the social emotional learning and, yeah. you know. It, going back to super basics, like this is how you sit in the classroom. This is how you work through some of your things and work with other people. It's a big deal. It reminds me of Mean Girls when Lindsay Lohan first gets to the regular school after being homeschooled oh. all the time. And she just like gets up to go to the bathroom and they're like, where are you going? She's like, the bathroom. They're like, you didn't have permission. And she's like, you need permission to go to the bathroom. <laughs> and it's just like a bunch of that yes. you know? so, and it's so funny you're like no you don't understand there are other people in the bathroom sometimes problems happen while you're walking there while you're coming back like we need to know like or you know so I would in an emergency if something happens I need to know where you are what am I going to tell your mother if I lost <laughs> exactly traumatic with them because they were just not getting it it's like they're constantly hungry and wanting to snack in the classroom. And I'd be like, do you want bugs in the classroom? No. You know, just getting super extra dramatic with them so they could catch this drift that we cannot do whatever we want anymore. Yes, absolutely. And it's it's just so funny to see it. Because again, <laughs> with the open concept classroom too, it's really hard for some of the kids to not get so overstimulated that they just wander out of the room you know and you're like wait 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 you can't go and so your classroom management has to be like super on point and then like and you have to just make sure everything's good to go um yeah I I love what you're saying about how you would start a school year and how you have to dial it back to social emotional learning and knowing how to just be in a classroom and to be comfortable there and to um create that trust between facilitator and learner because that they're with you most of their waking hours of the day you are you know filling in that role of parent or guardian while they're with you and that's like a that's such a big deal you're responsible it is not to be taken lightly this is a very important job and um the the passion behind teaching we were talking about that um, off camera a few weeks ago. And then now we've, you know, talked about it a bit. Um, I, I love seeing new teachers entering the field because I'm going, oh, yay. They're optimistic. <laughs> and despite all of the things that they've heard about teaching, they still decided to get into it. Um, how... Do you promote that passion? Like, I don't know the answer to this all the way either. Like, just to ignite that fire for wanting to educate. And when you have a bad day, to remind yourself like, <laughs> what what you do and why you do it. I don't know that I have an answer to how to instill this passion because to me... And to many of us, like teaching is just what I wanted to do. And so I went above and beyond to make sure that I reached as many learners as possible. And 
my philosophy is always like you gotta do you gotta leave my classroom better than when you came in <laughs> yeah that's a good goal then I have everything in my power to make that happen and it doesn't necessarily have to be an academic goal it could be a behavior social emotional whatever but um I don't know I don't I feel like new teachers are dealing with some of these behaviors especially if they're teaching like fifth or fourth grade and they're not really a knowing what pre-pandemic education was like yeah just seeing this group of children who can't behave or have a hard time sitting or a hard time getting being engaged, but don't realize maybe that how the pandemic really did affect them. And so they're tired, they're yeah. overwhelmed. And so I think that passion fire starts to dwindle because they're exhausted. Um, I don't know. I feel like finding projects or things that you love and showing the kids that you love it will probably allow them to have that joy for it, which will create just like this overall uh, yay feeling yeah, <laughs> for yeah. learners. So maybe finding something that you're a little more passionate about and bringing it into the classroom. Yeah. Absolutely. And yeah, and you, you do have to put in the work outside of class sometimes. I think that's just inevitable. Yeah. Especially I mean, in a school like ours. Whole <laughs> rabbit hole of like, yes, teachers need more planning time, you know, pay them for their planning time and so on and so on. But at the end of the day, the what's the goal? The goal is that you, like the more prepared you feel, the more prepared you are, the more prepared you feel, the better your lessons and your day will go, period. Right. Preparation. That's one thing I'm noticing a lot. It's like, well, the preparation is so key in your lesson or your day going smoothly. And that seems to have escaped a little bit here and there. Um, like running cop but once in a while, you'll have to run out and make copies in the middle <laughs> of the whatever. But it should be happening so regularly that your kids are left unattended for minutes at a time. And then, you know, things can go wild in those couple of minutes and to dial it back and to bring them back in afterwards. It's eating into a lot of the time. There are just minor things that we've been noticing that end up having, again, like a big impact on the quality of their academics and things like that, you know? So I feel like... I feel like... You know, and then in our campus, because we're an open space com co uh, concept, it doesn't just affect those learners. It affects the next door number, uh, learners and the facilitator, and it just rolls out into the hallways. Yeah, <laughs> anybody within earshot is basically <laughs> going to feel the effects of that. So it's really interesting. It's like you almost have to collaborate with more than just your grade level. You have to co collaborate with the school like we've seen it with um, testing, like we have state testing going on these last few right. weeks. And it's like, well, if fourth grade is testing, fifth grade needs to, you know, because they share one big common space. So like there are six people involved in that, you know, decision-making. And it's really interesting because you really have to make sure everybody's on the same page. And with testing, you notice that it can be done like pretty well. Like, if you really want it to. You know? Eight. Yeah, it's really interesting. So, okay. In the interest of time, because we are getting to that 
point, I'm going to ask you one more question, which is about, can you think of a time? I'm sure you have many. Can you think of a time in your teaching career where it makes you laugh or a memory that makes you laugh or has brought you joy or is just one of those things you think back on and it puts a smile on your face? <laughs> yes, I have several. I have a hard time picking. Um, I have a special memory of a learner from my very first year of teaching. He was a learner that sat in the back of my classroom and never wanted to participate. And we would invite him over and he was just like, no. And we learned, I learned that year that he um, was on the spectrum. And so I kind of let him be. I would give him his, he had a sketchbook and I would have it, which I still have that sketchbook. Uh, <laughs> and I would kind of let him be and he would absorb things. And I, I watched him and I would see that he would be learning from time to time. Some of the things that we were teaching. Um, and he had one friend in the classroom. I ended up looping with this class to second grade. And at the end of second grade, the learners have a performance. Mm -hmm. And he was front row performing this song, arms out, <laughs> the song, full on participation so from cute. the little boy who was in the back of my classroom telling me, no, I'm not coming to the rug every day to yeah. two years later, like full on participation in the school performances. So uh, that little boy changed my life and my perspective completely. And I remember him uh, very much and, and just just love love him to pieces because he changed me as an educator. Yeah, I, I love that story. That's so <laughs> wonderful. And the other thing that it really points to, it two things. One, you learned from it. It changed you. You knew that. And secondly, you're not going to see the fruit of all of your efforts in a day or in a week or in a month all of the time you might have to wait a couple years or you might never see it but you work so hard with that kid and they came out of their shell and they were able to work with what they had going for them and that's amazing I think that that's wonderful well, Zenaida, thank you so much for joining me today. I know we have to get ready for another meeting, so I'm going to. Um, so I really, really appreciate you. I value you so much as an educator. I learn from you all of the time, and I just, I'm so grateful that you joined me today. I right, thank oh, you. Thank you, and I want to be you when I grow up. But no. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll just work together forever in some capacity. Perfect. Excellent. All right.